0: Because I think autonomous driving is is not an iPhone. It's not a, a computer where you make it and you sell it all over the world. Uh, it has a lot of things to do with, you know, the culture um, and, and legislation. A lot of things. It's going to be very localized. When I think about this space, I think it's more like it's more like the e-commerce market, hmm. where you will have localized players. And even Alibaba going to Southeast Asia, it's it's challenging.
1: Hello, and welcome to the Atonicast. I'm Ed Niedermeyer. I'm the author of Ludicrous: the Unvarnished Story of Tesla Motors. And I'm Alex Roy, the host of the No Parking
2: Podcast.
3: Wow, that's it. And I am Kirsten Horacek, Senior Transportation Reporter with TechCrunch. And today we have a special guest, uh, Jewel Lee, the Chief Operating Officer over at AutoX. Jewel, thanks so much. Thank you, Kirsten. Yeah. So actually, um, I've been wanting to have AutoX on the show for a while now, and the timing is great because AutoX just opened up uh, the up, uh, a new center in Shanghai. Right? Uh,
0: that's correct. Yeah.
3: So, just to back up a bit, I want just in case any of our listeners are unfamiliar with AutoX. The company operates in California and as well as in China. Can you just lay the groundwork as to where your operations are and what they look like in each um, in California and China?
0: Sure. We actually have um, uh, major R&D offices in four places. One is in uh, Silicon Valley. Um, There is also one uh, in San Diego and also Shenzhen, Beijing and Shanghai. Uh, there are eight offices globally, uh, but these five places are uh, where we keep the R&D efforts.
1: Um. So so how, how are your, your responsibilities, like the different things that AutoX is doing, how are they divided between these different locations that you operate in?
0: Sure. Um, well, there are some places that are R&D focused and R&D only, um, but there are other places where we also uh, operate a, a fleet of vehicles. And the largest fleets are in Shenzhen. And Shanghai. These are the two places.
1: But and and looking at the the California um uh, disengagement report for 2019, it looks like you guys uh, racked up quite a few more miles than than you were before. Um, yeah. w- what's what's the thinking behind that? Uh, why why this increase in 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 California um, when, as you said, your biggest fleets have been in China so far?
0: Yeah, um, we've actually been very transparent about how we operate and how what we want to do in California uh, when we do testing in the diseng- disengagement report. Um, it explained that we're doing two kinds of testing. Uh, one kind is breadth and the other is depth. And in California, we're focused on depths. And we further explained that um we have been testing in 12 cities, uh, including some cities in California and somewhere in Las Vegas and also, of course, in China. Um, that is breath. Okay. We want to see diverse, uh, road conditions, traffic situations, but we also need to go deep. So we have a definition of the first set of ODD where we want to go driverless. Um, within this driverless ODD, we constantly test and test from morning to night. That's what we're doing in California. That is also one of the reasons why, you know, we have very significantly less MPI, uh, higher MPI, less disengagements. Because of that reason, it's it's the place where we want to go drivers.
1: And and what is that ODD and, and, and sort of why did you pick the one that, that you did?
0: Yeah, the ODD is actually simple. Um, the engineers came up with it. <laughs> it's based on the data, based on how they test, It's very close to our office. It's the normal San Jose road. Uh, It's not super challenging like San Francisco, for example, but it's not that easy either.
1: And and so this was this was chosen for, as you said, by by engineers for technical reasons, um, rather than uh, maybe for business development reasons. Um, Sort of, how do you think about that transition, right? From from having a program that's sort of being driven by engineering and technical factors sort of transitioning towards one with more of a business focus? I know this is a big topic, but I'm just curious what your thoughts are on that.
0: Yeah. Um, Based on all the data that we have seen, um, the roads in California is definitely one of, um, let's say, easiest to go driverless, um, especially compared to um, like the roads in Shanghai And Shenzhen, so uh, that's one of the reasons that the the engineers think you know this is the first set of ODD that we want to go driverless.
1: And and is there going to be a point at which you transition more towards um, sort of looking at ODDs based on like where there are business opportunities or maybe the you know most potential revenue per mile or 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 are you still very firmly in sort of a development phase where things need to be rooted in in sort of the technical realities rather than what you want to accomplish as a business.
0: That, that's a good question. But, um, I think when we choose, uh, the location, it's definitely not just R and D difficulty. Um, there are a lot of other factors, uh, that we consider. And it's, it's not just business only either. Um, one, a few things that we, um, like the China cities as well. Um, I think back in 2016 or 2017, uh, it's more of a consensus that um, the roads in China is definitely going to be harder. Uh, when people talk about Chinese road conditions, they feel like, ah, if you can drive in China, you can drive everywhere, <laughs> right? That was, that was the, that was how people was describing it. But, um, there are good things, uh, about that market as well. Um, for one thing is that, um, the public acceptance of not owning a car. Um, I think if you if you see the numbers of how many people own a car, the ratio, it's almost the same as Fiji, okay, with, with a country that of this kind of population, it's almost like Fiji. And we're already suffering violently uh, of the, the traffic jam. So if everyone in China is going to own a vehicle, uh, we're going to turn the country into a parking lot. It's not possible. So uh, we already have the consensus and people have the, the lifestyle of living in very uh, dense urban area. From when I grew up, uh, we didn't own a car and we don't want to. Uh, there are a lot of ways to do transportation.
2: So uh, your partner in the vehicles is Fiat Chrysler. Is that right?
0: Uh, that's one of the partners. Yes.
2: And so uh, who, who, what other vehicles are you using to test your autonomy stack?
0: Yeah. Um, let me count. Probably around 10 types of vehicles. There is Fiat Chrysler, uh, for sure. Um, there is also Dongfeng. Uh, we use their trucks. Uh, they're also one of our investors. Um, there is also BYD electric vehicles. We use a lot of BYD in Shenzhen. Uh, BYD is also headquartered in Shenzhen. So that makes the collaboration very smooth. Um, there are others, um, over 50% uh, of the China's own OEM brands are already collaborating with us. That includes Great Wall, Cherry Alto, etc.
3: And then in the U.S., what vehicles are you using, um, for testing?
0: Uh, you see two types of vehicles. One is the Lincoln MKZ.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, we retrofit themselves uh, by ourselves. Um, and the other type is, um, Fiat.
1: Okay.
3: And- I, I want to go back when I was first writing about AutoX. there was, it seemed like an interest in, and some experimentation on delivery of goods and then also the ride hailing piece. So was that just, um, an experiment to see which business model would work best or, and, and have you landed on, on one that works? Do you want to shuttle people or packages?
0: That's a very good question, and that is definitely one of the experiments that we carry out, and it's for the purpose uh, to drive the R&D, uh, because we know uh, it's not that simple to just move from point A to point B. There are things that the AI engineers, the hardware, the, the, the everyone need to develop uh, in terms of a, a business model, but I think our business model is not vertical. It's quite different. It's not to do delivery. We don't want to become a delivery company. We don't want to become a mobility company. And um, probably in two weeks, when we announce the partnership of how we're doing the RoboTaxi in Shanghai, uh, it's going to become more clear that we don't want to become a mobility company. We're the driver company.
3: Explain that a little bit more. Um, I know that you want to have your you know big announcement, but But give me an idea of what you mean. If you're not a mobility company and you're not a delivery company, does that mean that you just want to supply the self-driving stack to any partner and give them the tools so that they can launch their own mobility service? Or is there something else I'm missing?
0: Yeah, um, I think as a driver company, there are definitely two sides of partners that we need to build. On one side, it's the OEM um, that is, you know, we, we have seen it uh, with a lot of autonomous driving companies. There is a big focus on the OEM partnership side. Um, there is less of a focus, though, on uh, the operating, the, the, the fleet. Um, mostly what we see is that uh, a lot of the autonomous driving companies would say we will become the mobility company. We will make an app. We will operate all of the fleet. And some of them do have a partner to operate, to do the groundwork, the day-to-day operations. But they still want to own uh, the entrance app, how people are going to, to hail uh, the, the robo taxis. Uh, but for us, um, we're going to have multiple sides of partners uh, to collaboratively build this together. And for us, it's, it's it's simple. We just take the driver fee. And, and that's one of the clearest business models.
3: How many partners can you handle then? So on the business side, you either have figured out the driver fee so that you can have uh, very few partners and and make a profit. Or the business model is more like volume and scale. And so you're really trying to partner with as many people. But that takes balance right? You can get distracted by different partners, especially if they want different things. Yeah. So what's the, what's the, what's the, what's the the perfect number there? I mean, and what are you looking at? Is it endless? Can you partner with as many companies that come to your knocking on your door and are willing to, you know, be a partner?
0: Definitely not everybody (laughs) because some of them would have a unrealistic expectation uh, or, um, a misunderstanding of the technology, I would say. Um, and some of them, um, probably are not clear about their own strategy of how, how they want to play out, uh, in the L4 autonomy game. Um, for those partners, um, it, it's harder to have any real collaborations because you can put efforts to bring up one or two vehicles, but it's not going anywhere. Okay. So we, we don't focus ourselves on this
3: type of partnerships. Greetings, Atana Cat Nation. Pardon the interruption. We know you're all anxious to hear the rest of the show, but we need a minute of your time.
1: Actually, Kirsten, we need a few minutes.
3: Okay, fine. Well, let's be clear. We don't need your time as much as your information.
1: You might have heard that we have created a survey. Hold up. Let's provide some context here. What started as a fun side project has turned into something much bigger than we ever expected. And
3: so it's time for us to grow up just a little. And to do that, we need to better understand our
1: audience. We created a survey to do just that. The data fields are mostly optional, but the more you provide, the more you help. Importantly, we will never share your personal information with anyone. Filling out this survey is the
3: most effective way to
1: help us make this podcast
3: everything it can be. So please take a few minutes to visit atonicast slash survey and help us understand who you are and how we can improve.
1: Thanks. Thanks. You mentioned misperceptions about the technology. This is something that we talk about a lot on this show, and and in fact, we just had a, an episode. Our last episode uh, was was very focused on this, and and I'm just curious. Um, clearly, this is this is something a challenge that you you have to deal with. Um, And I I guess I'm just curious, sort of how, how do you think about managing that, that expectation problem? Because it's clearly something everyone in the space deals with. Um, And and we think about it more in terms of public perception, but you're saying it's an issue even in terms of internal partnership conversations. So, so what's your philosophy about that? How do you, how do you manage that, that those expectations?
0: Yeah, we've been experiencing a, a shift in the understanding of the technology from 2016 all the way to 2020. Uh, in the beginning, there were um it, it's quite polarized actually. Uh, some people think it's gonna take 20 years. Um, and, and they would be very uh, conservative, very, very conservative uh, about this technology. Um, and they would um they would insist on a traditional OEM way of validating the technology. Um, but on the other side, there were people talking about launching Real RoboTaxi in 2019 at scale, uh, which like three years ago, and we said- Who would uh, you I'm be referring
2: possible.
0: to? <laughs> <laughs> it's not just one company. I mean, there were multiple. Um, but back then we thought that's, that's almost impossible. Um, but I, I think in 2020, we actually see it at least clearer. We have a clearer picture compared to 2016. Uh, we think it's actually not that far away anymore. In 2020, people should be the other way around. When it was 2016, we should have been more conservative. In 2020, we should have been more uh, optimistic.
3: So, give me a better idea of what that picture, that clearer picture, looks like now. Yeah. Uh, are you willing to put a timeline on there, or um, or other confinements and constraints? I mean, where where are we at and where are we headed?
0: Yeah. Um, I, I think as an industry, we already see uh, driverless vehicles. And the, the problem is just um, when people talk about when we have autonomous, truly autonomous vehicles, we were talking about different scale. Um, we can have 10 and we already have 10 today. Um, I, I mean, as the industry. Um, but I think some people maybe were talking about a million Uh, which is not the case at all. I think in one or two years, definitely in in two years, we're going to see a a sizable fleet of fully driverless systems, probably not in just one place, in several places. And this is based on our own estimation and also from what we know from the industry.
3: A quick follow-up, and I know Alex wants to ask something. (laughs) When you under that definition. So you mean no safety driver in the vehicle, just so we're all talking about the same thing. That's right. Alex, go ahead. That was, that was your question. Yeah. I wanted to to set the baseline.
2: So there is a a presumption that in China, it will be easier to deploy driverless level four because you have a more uh, unitary regulatory framework than in in the United States. So what, what advantages do you think that will grant you in terms of deployment timelines that you're a Chinese company that you can operate in China?
0: Yeah, um, one of the things that, you know, based on our experience uh, with multiple cities uh, is infrastructure. Um, the robotaxis that we're going to launch in Shanghai, they are connected to uh, a V2X infrastructure. And this is not a trivial thing. Um, because I know there are companies testing in San Francisco. Uh, there are sometimes that the tree branches uh, cover the, the, the red lights, the, the traffic lights. and it's just a really tough problem to solve. It's not impossible to solve, but we're adding on a lot more corner cases, more and more challenging situations for the technology to become you know a reality. Um, but with the V2X, it, it definitely solves a lot of problems. Uh, I used to hear a story when I was little uh, that there was a manufacturer uh, of a medicine. Um, you know, they, they put medicine inside little bottles and they do the packaging. And one day the machine broke and um, they put medicine in some of the bottles, but not the others. And then everyone was freaking out. And they, they have a whole bunch of PhD coming in and say, can you figure this out? And how do we figure out which ones are empty because we cannot sell these to customers? And they took months to, to try figuring out until one day there was a, a manufacturer. He came in and he said, oh, I've got that sorted out. And they said, how did you do that? He said, just put a wind blower. <laughs> so there are things that can be solved. Not just you know in, in the in one way.
2: So who is so uh, who is the partner with whom you're going to deploy in Shanghai? Is that's the first city?
0: Uh, we cannot talk about it at sure. this moment. <laughs> All right. So
2: so, how, so you how much time do you think it saves to have access to VitaX X infrastructure versus a city like San Francisco, which clearly does not? Is it a year savings? Is it three years savings?
0: Yeah, that's a, a hard question. It's hard to quantify. Um, and it's not just, um, it's maybe not just the, the traffic light. You know, it's, it's a lot of things. For example, they could separate the biker's lane from the, the, the vehicle's lane, which we cannot see in the older city. Uh, but in newer places, that was designed to be that way. Um, all of this added together. I'm not sure how many years it saves, but definitely a lot of
3: work. Is it possible then for there to be a meaningful deployment in, in the U.S. with when you, when you look at it and you're very familiar with the differences in the infrastructure, I mean, is it really possible or is it limiting? Um, are we going to only see deployments in newer cities like Phoenix, for example, as opposed to San Francisco?
0: that's hard to say.
3: <laughs> well, I mean, you've seen both. I don't I don't want to put you in the hot spot, but I mean, you've seen both what both countries have in terms of infrastructure. So if it and I think I'm asking sort of the same question that Alex was a little bit, which was like what are the constraints and, and you know, is it possible, if it is possible, how much further behind is the, is um the US? Um but maybe it'd be easier to talk about cities. I mean, are there any cities in the United States that you've come across that have the type of infrastructure that would help speed this along?
0: Yeah, I've um, I haven't um, talked directly uh, to some of the U.S. cities uh, regarding this, um, mostly because of the uh, because of the focus in China market. Um, but I know that, for example, um Ford Argo, uh, they've always been emphasizing on the infrastructure, emphasizing on other parts other than just, you know, single vehicle intelligence. Uh, and that is probably what they're doing with uh, um, Miami. I am not sure. Um, I'm not sure either. I, I, would know, I wouldn't know
1: anything about that. If only someone could answer that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um. So kind of to ex- extend this question, maybe in a, in a slightly different direction, but, but getting towards what I think is, generally the question here, which is the differences between China and the US, right? Um, And and one of the things that I've noticed is that you see Chinese companies uh, in this space coming to the US and and actually just in the last year, especially really racking up the miles in California, um, uh, doing a lot of development work in the US. What you don't see, though, interestingly, is the big names in US, the the big US-based AV developers don't seem to be going to China and doing development work there, why do you think that is? Um, is, it, Great is it a question.
3: Yeah, why those? isn't, why, let's, let's put the names out. Why isn't Cruz and Waymo in China?
0: Waymo tried.
2: <laughs> okay. And tell us more about that.
0: <laughs> I mean, um, let me put it this way. All over the world, people come to California. It's not about U.S. or China. Aptiv is here as well. You know, the European uh, companies are here as well. It's, it's a charm of California, of Silicon Valley. It's not a, um, you know, a specific China U.S. thing. But why is Waymo or Cruz not in China? Well, they're not anywhere else in U.S. either. Okay. Uh, there are um, countries like, you know, Japan or, or Korea, um, which obviously from your, your point of view, these companies shouldn't have a problem going into. But still, they're not going in there. Because I think autonomous driving is is not an iPhone. It's not a, a computer where you make it and you sell it all over the world. Uh, it has a lot of things to do with you know, the culture um, and, and legislation, a lot of things. It's going to be very localized. When I think about this space, I think it's more like it's more like the e-commerce market, hmm. where you will have localized players, and even Alibaba going to Southeast Asia. It's it's challenging.
2: Isn't
1: Alibaba one of your investors?
0: Yes, they are.
1: Does it does it then spread you thin as one company to be trying to develop in both places? Um, if these are going to be localized solutions, and certainly if there the expectation or this there's a sense that you know this technology is not living up to its expectations, does it not make sense to focus in one area? you know, make it about deploying there and then, and then move on from place to place? Uh, why, why take this sort of broader approach then?
0: Yeah, um, we're actually not stretched thin. Uh, we haven't opened up uh, any other branches uh, up until um, fairly late around 2018. And the reason was that we didn't want to stretch thin. We want to have a focus and we were worried about uh, how people collaborate, especially when you're on a different time zone. Um, so we build a lot of infrastructure, uh, a lot of tools, so we can we will be able to do it. Now the US and China team all, over five R and D offices—they're very collaborative. They all work on one thing. Um, what you're talking about is probably you know, when they work on different things, then we're distracted, but we're not.
2: Wait, this is a tonicast which means we have to ask hard questions, mm-hmm. and someone has to be difficult. So maybe to, I was hoping it would not be me. Let me just understand this clearly. So you it's have always you. <laughs> thank you. So you have ten OEM partners, two of whom are invest. One of one of them is an investor, and then an FCA, two of them. Two of them. So, um, and so internally to AutoX, I I imagine that these OEMs do they want their the teams on the AutoX side internally firewalled from each other. So as to protect the trade secrets of each individual's OEMs hardware and software development, am I correct? Like this, I mean, uh, you're not working on a single common stack with identical hardware for all these OEMs, right? And each OEM I imagine Actually, is at least one vehicle in the development pipeline.
0: Actually, we are working on a unified platform for all of
2: them. Identical hardware for all the vehicles. Well, no the, less than ten vehicles.
0: The positioning might be a little bit different, of course, because the vehicles are different. Um, but we want to have as much um, similar similarity between the system as possible, and we see a very high percentage of similarity um, across the
2: platforms. Yes. And each of these ten OEM partners has a different go-to-market strategy. It's
0: different. It's different, um, but there are a lot of similarities as well. When you're all making um, passenger vehicles um, for robo taxi, it's very diff- it's very difficult to have different vehicle types. Actually, <laughs> it's it's all of a similar vehicle type, um, and the the technology is just um, for for all of them. Yes.
2: Well, I hate not to be Alex. Uh, but we, as we've seen from looking at the cruise origin concept, uh, which they claim is ready, um, and you look at some of the other vehicles like a Chrysler Pacifica, these are very different vehicles. One is a radical jump forward, maybe, and the other is an evolution of a, a common platform. And, and the, just develop the R&D for these two vehicles. However, they may be for the same use case, is very very different you've got 10 so how big is the auto x staff because i mean if i'm unless i'm nuts that would make you the autonomous vehicle developer with more customers than anyone else on the planet maybe more than almost all the other companies on the planet combined
0: There is something that is a little bit different about our customer, though. I just want to point it out.
2: Ask her about it, Kirsten.
0: (laughs) Go ahead. These, uh, especially when they are native Chinese OEMs, um, the landscape is quite different from U.S. OEMs and European and Japanese OEMs. Um, For U.S. market, um, it's done. There are four OEMs, and that's it uh yeah we can argue about the number here but <laughs> i, I <know. laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but in china that's not the same that's not the same case at all and um a lot of the chinese oems they they have the culture of being uh co-living with each other there's not that much of a competition or or you know exclusivity against each other uh especially like dongfeng and uh the other uh, more of a, a state owned OEMs they don't they don't feel that way at all they would be happier to share uh between themselves uh, it's it's just not the same for example if if GM have something Ford does not want it at all right
1: <laughs> definitely right <laughs> yeah, they don't want to
0: look the same they don't want to be the same but not not the chinese and they're not just not exclusive with each other they are even friendly with Foreign OEMs as well. They have a long history of joint venture and collaborating with foreign OEMs. That's that's a key difference.
1: That's really interesting. Uh, I I kind of want to get to something that Alex sort of hinted at, which is sort of personnel and talent. Which is, I'm I'm I feel like every every month every week I learn more that like how important this is to this to this space. Um, I'm just curious again since you straddle sort of these two very different places, China and the US. how, you know, where do you find different kinds of talent? Like if you had to characterize sort of like certain kinds of talent, you know, we definitely always look for in China, certain kinds of talent we look for in the U S does that exist at all?
0: Um, I think there are talents of every single aspect, almost everywhere. It's just how difficult it is to recruit them because if there are less, you, you fight for them, right? It's You always have the talents everywhere. Um, so um, there are some uh, um, distribution of hardware versus software people. Um, and that, uh, w- we do see that a lot, especially when hardware people, they are more experienced. They have 20 years of experience and they have family. It's, it's harder to move. They have kids, um but for software it's you know it's the typical Beijing, Shenzhen, Shanghai, Silicon Valley. It's
3: yeah. It's not. Which job market is more competitive for you in terms of attracting talent? Um and just between the two markets you're operating in. Um as far as I know, AutoX isn't doing anything in Europe yet, correct? Not yet. Yeah. Okay. So let's just talk about the two markets you're in. So which one is which one is more competitive or, or What are some other differences? And you kind of laid out some of that already.
0: Um, I think when you talk about talent um, competitiveness, it's more about uh, the awareness of the employer. So definitely because of our presence in China, it's way easier (laughs) to to recruit uh, because of the awareness.
1: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah.
2: So in China, like, is there, if a company chooses, uh, deploys shanghai shenzhen uh a level four driverless service a robo taxi service um or is that company are you going to seek exclusivity for a given odd for a given city
0: and what do you mean can you elaborate
2: meaning are you i mean there have been there has been talk in the united states of cities of companies and approaching cities and trying to get an exclusive arrangement um with that city for certain fences for certain services I don't want to name names. Um, It has not been received well. Now, we're a country that likes competition. But in China, I could imagine that might be possible, given a very close relationship between the government and the military and investments in manufacturers and autonomy companies. How do you think that's going to play out?
0: No, I don't see it either.
2: So what happens if a Western company arrives and successfully deploys Level 4 driverless in China? Um, Do you think that an open, a level playing field is possible?
3: I think it's possible. I think Aptiv is already there.
2: They're not deployed, though. No one, yeah. There's no deployed commercial service. No, but
3: they have actually huge operations in Wuhan. They have. Yeah. They're next to our office.
0: Their yeah. office is huge.
2: How's that going?
0: <laughs> I think um, to really deploy, it's not just that I have this technology and I can. Um, there are other aspects uh, to make a successful business. And I'm not from Aptiv. I cannot talk on behalf of Aptiv either. Uh, But I would say uh, the reason why they are not putting 75 vehicles as they do in Las Vegas in Shanghai uh, is not purely the discussion with the the local municipal. That's just one of the reasons.
3: What would be some other reasons?
0: The business partners.
3: Oh, the business partners. Yes. Are there any other Western companies trying to scale up either even just some testing in, in China that you know of besides Aptiv?
0: Hmm. I think I've seen some smaller companies uh, of driverless shuttles. Definitely, we have seen those. Mm-hmm. Um, but for the other, the, the bigger names, I don't think I've seen them anywhere mm-hmm. other than U.S., actually.
3: One more question. So um, you you earlier talked about just sort of the cultural differences, which I find really interesting and fascinating because it can then dictate the design of the vehicle, what it looks like, how it operates. And, and I'm wondering if you have ever talked to any OEMs about building a vehicle from the ground up as opposed to the current platforms that are used, which are you know modifications of vehicles that we, we could buy right now.
0: So for RoboTaxi, um, I think there is less of a motivation uh, to build a vehicle ground up. Uh, It's simply because it's not the right time uh, to talk about a volume, changing volume manufactured vehicles. It's not the right timing uh, at this moment. Um, But when we talk about lower speed shuttles, of course, that has always been the theme for whatever reason, (laughs) to have a very nice, fancy looking uh, low speed shuttle. Um, I, I guess that's also because it's easier to manufacture. Uh, it's relatively cheaper as well. Um, but uh, I, I think that the, the, the uh, a culture, one of the cultures uh, for a lot of Chinese players, is to be very, very uh, practical. Um, I think um, we think redesigning a vehicle at this moment at this volume is just not very practical.
1: So um, in in ride hailing specifically, like there's kind of lots of of different pieces to this. And you've said AutoX is is the driver company. And we've heard that before from some other companies. And you have sort of vehicle companies, you have operations companies, and then you also have like the platform, right? Um, One of the really interesting things, I'm reading Kirsten's excellent piece at TechCrunch about your plans with uh, Fiat Chrysler. Uh, And... um, one of the things that just jumps out is is uh, the platform that you'll be using is is actually WeChat, so it's not necessarily, or at least one. It, okay, I'll, I'll read the quote specifically. Passengers will be able to call a robotaxi using the WeChat, a WeChat mini program, and other popular apps in China. So it looks like other apps as well. Um, so it doesn't. It, it it seems like on the platform side, at least in China. And and maybe this is one of the things that you were hinting at that kind of makes operations and stuff a little different in China than the US, is that you do have these very um, uh, popular, um, um, I guess they're like financial and communication apps, right, that allow you then to do Uh these sorts of things. Is that a big difference between the US and China? Is that something that might someday be replicated in the US as well, you think?
0: I've been looking forward to something that's replicated in US. I just don't see it and I don't know why. Uh because it's it's fairly simple. Uh they're they're looking for a one-click solution where you don't need to jump between apps, uh where you search the address here, read the Yelp there and then ride, uh hail a, a ride somewhere else and and pay somewhere else. Uh you need four apps to complete a service. <laughs> it's it's quite painful. Um, but yes, um, and I think it's it's one of the things that is critical for the next step of autonomous driving that is not often talked about um, is however many vehicles you buy and deploy, uh, like in a very large area, um, it's never reaching that density to meet the satisfaction of a mobility service. It's really challenging. If you buy that many vehicles, they're all going to be idle sometimes. So there has to be a mixture of human and computer drivers. And to be able to do that, I, I know that riding some of, hailing some of the robotaxis currently, um, I, I won't mention which company, it takes half an hour, it takes 16 minutes. I don't recall the last time that I ever waited 16 minutes for any ride nobody's going to do that. Uh, we're all in a, in a hurry. So we have to mix human drivers. Um, and how do we do that? Uh, there's one way is to work with a open platform. And we've heard that a lot. Um, a lot of the ride-hailing companies would say we, we will be open. But then it's a bigger business discussion of how the orders are going to be distributed. Um, I, I think on this end, we also need a very deep collaboration. Not just a friendly, open platform.
1: That's really interesting, especially because sometimes the different players in the space don't necessarily have a great relationship with the Ubers no, of the world, or not the at of all. the world. Does right? anyone?
2: Yeah. Does anyone?
1: Well, okay, that's the less diplomatic way of putting it.
3: Your Your view on that is actually a bit similar to um, conversations I've had with Carl Yanyama over at Aptiv, which is. They've even seen within their own pilot and experiment within Las Vegas. Granted, it's not fully driverless, but they realized right away that they could never go completely um, mm-hmm. autonomous. They need human driver operated components of that ride hailing network just in Las Vegas. definitely. And, and they haven't you know, reached the fully driverless stage yet, but they've just noticed that within their business model that some rides just, it doesn't make sense. Um, the longer rides from Las Vegas airport out to Henderson, a suburb, makes more sense for the human driver. Yes. And then the more routed common routes would make more sense for the fully driverless.
0: So is that kind of where you... Yeah, it's constrained within an ODD and there's always ride requests outside your ODD. And w- w- what is anyone's going to do about that? Switching between four different apps is not going to be practical.
1: Yeah. That's always one of the questions I've had about, about the Waymo one thing. And I know that they're early, you know, and, and, and not, not to knock on them, but to me, it's very, the idea is very strange that you would pull out an app to take a ride. And, and most people have the one app that they prefer for that Uber or Lyft or whatever, but then that someone would be like, Oh no! I want to take a ride in a self-driving vehicle. <laughs> I'll pull out this app and do that. Like that's always been been iffy. But as you say too, the relationship isn't always good with those with those uh, uh, ride-hailing providers. And so um, it is fascinating that China may be enabling a real market for this uh, for, for autonomous ride-hailing simply by having this open uh, WeChat platform uh, and, and others as well. By the way,
0: so on one side, OEMs are one resource that autonomous driving companies are competing for. On the other side, the the apps, the where to hail is also a resource yeah. that is going to be more limiting in the future, not currently, but in the
3: future. I, mean, I wonder how that could work in the US because structurally we just don't have a WeChat. And I sort of wonder if it will end up becoming something that the city would own. So an app that the city would have that would be essentially that platform that would um, somehow go through that. I, I I think of companies like the on-demand de, on dynamic shuttle companies like VIA and stuff that have been selling their, their platforms to cities for mm-hmm. their, you know, dynamic routing to take the place of bus routes, for example. And I just wonder if that's the only way to make it work in the U.S., because like you said, who's going to open up three or four different apps? Right. Would it instead be like, I open up my city app and all the private companies flow through that and I pick my scooter or my transit? That's a very small market share. (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) And you have 10 companies competing for that small market share. That would be, right? That's That's the upper bound. How many people are actually using that?
1: Um, shifting gears a little bit, but but still anchored in this uh, this wonderful story by Kirsten Corraca at TechCrunch okay. um, about your Fiat Chrysler plans. Um, it, the story is from January, um, and it mentions that uh, a fleet of Chrysler Pacifica vans is going to be uh, in service to the public in China in early 2020. Now, a lot's changed since January, and, <laughs> okay. and I, I don't, you know, I'm, look, everything everything is different, right? I mean, everyone's schedule is different. Everyone's timelines are different. Everything has changed. So zero judgment. I'm just curious, um, and also, it doesn't have to be super specific to this, but generally, um, sort of how is this current situation that we're all grappling with right now? How um, how's that, how's that changed your plans? Um, what are you doing to try and keep things on track?
0: Yeah, I think it definitely affected everyone.
1: Um,
0: but um, I, I think the China side is back, uh, operational. Um, our, our employees are all working, um, not at home anymore. Uh, they're, they're on the spot. Um, so that hasn't slowed us down much uh, because it, it happened to be in the spring festival uh, holiday, which was, was lucky in some sense, um, if there's anything lucky at all about this um, so, uh, the U S side, uh, right now, everyone is just working from home, but, um, I think we're not slowed down too much by that probably, yeah, a couple weeks.
3: I was actually surprised that you were able to scale up and open your Shanghai center <laughs> during this. So we're, you must've been really close to opening and then it was, yeah. is that what happened? Okay. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And, and on the demand side, are you, are you seeing anything of concern that would make you... Sort of worry or, or, or rethink aspects of operating a, a shared mobility service in China, whether it's driverless See, or not?
0: That's a different mentality between the US market and China market. I think after this, everyone, I, I love that episode, by the way. Uh, I think everyone would want to own their car. Um, it, it's just scary to, to sit in a, a shared vehicle. Um, but uh, at the same time, I think um, designing something that is automated. Uh, for for disinfecting is way easier than what we think. It's easier than making the autonomous driving system, right? So we um, we also learned something from this uh, this pandemic, and we designed the process uh, from payment uh, to how you start the ride uh, to be fully touchless, uh, so that we don't force people to to everyone to touch the screen, um, and, and have a driver to clean the screen after every driver. <laughs>
3: So how are the- how are you doing that? Sorry, sorry Alex, go ahead.
0: <laughs> <laughs> there there are different ways. Um there are there are multiple ways actually uh to to keep the complete flow a touchless of course you need to sit in the car. Um but um a lot of things like a QR code or a voice recognition can help you to to start the vehicle.
2: And are you guys going to integrate like uh contact tracing into like uh And to whether or not someone can actually get on board, like can somebody, would you let someone hail a vehicle and share it with someone else? If you had contact tracing for two passengers, but not the third.
0: Yeah, we don't, uh, we don't have that now. Uh, It's not in our stack, Um, Mm -hmm. but it it depends. I feel that this kind of thing is not going to be forever. It was designed for this, uh, the virus specifically, and I don't expect it to go on. Nobody wants to be tracked like that forever, right?
1: So we're uh, running out of time a little bit here, but um, I I just kind of want to ask you to look forward a little bit over the next, you know, maybe 18 months or so, two years, and just sort of, you know, because, again, I, I think right now in the U.S., it's, it's fascinating that in China, you know, there's already this sense that, that the worst of this is behind us. Whereas here in the U.S., there's still a lot of anxiety about when things will get back to normal. And, and I'm just kind of curious from from your perspective with a foot in each of these worlds uh, or countries, um, sort of, how w- w- you know, how are you thinking about the next, you know, 12, 18, 24 months um, and, and sort of how things move forward from here?
0: Um, if we're talking about autonomous vehicle space specifically – uh, I think we have seen a lot there there has been a focus on the u s market definitely it was it was almost all focused on u s market. and we started to see um all the giants start thinking about what are we gonna do about the china market? It's definitely one of the biggest automotive markets and and for sure, a lot of the global OEMs have probably the highest or even the only sales uh, in China, uh, especially during the pandemic. So what are they going to do? I think in the next 18 months, uh, we're going to see uh, a lot more news, a lot more partnerships formed um, for the China market.
1: That's really fascinating.
3: What has the COVID-19 pandemic, because now you've seen people coming back to work in China. So you might help us give some predictions as to what our world over here is going to look like. How has people's behavior changed and how is that impacting uh, the autonomous vehicle industry? I mean, you mentioned the touchless part and that makes sense. But I'm wondering if there's other aspects of the business. For example, uh, there has been some speculation that the private car is going to be a lot more appealing now and shared is going to be out. Have you seen that actually come to pass um, in China?
0: Um, sure. Well, it's always been appealing to own something, right? Um, especially such a, a expensive tool, uh, expensive, expensive toy for a lot of people. It's, it's a luxury, uh, to have a fun car, or to have multiple fun cars. Uh, it's more about whether it's, it's actually practical. Uh, like I mentioned, it's just not practical for everyone to own a car. Uh, we will make the space into a parking lot. It's not environmentally friendly. Uh, it's, it's impossible for everyone. Uh, so how how do we deal with that? Uh, the only way is to share. Um, so after the the, the virus uh, COVID nineteen situation, I think there was there is a very strong demand uh, for for delivery um, vehicles, and it's not uh, not just last mile, but for the whole segment of logistics. And for China, uh, there are a lot more uh, light trucks. Um, I don't think we have much of that in US, but it's it's the similar size of your uh, house moving vehicles. You know, it's a bigger truck basically because of the the dense population and between city uh, within one day trips that are so frequent in China. Um, it's less common f- to have the the long haul eighteen wheeler trucks. You almost don't ever see that kind of thing in China, but there's definitely a, a increasing strong demand for that to happen.
3: So more of a demand for the 18-wheeler trucks or more of a demand for the light trucks? Sorry, uh, light trucks. Yeah, okay. okay. So that actually... I, Alex, you can't say that you have to go right now.
2: Oh, no. I've got, <laughs> I got more, but go on. Oh, now.
3: okay, good, good. Then go, please.
2: In China, what regulatory framework... Or any of the, do you have to go through to define safety or safe enough for deployment?
0: Yeah, I think they are trying to do something similar, uh, although different, but similar as in the U.S. They're trying to look for experts to tell them how to regulate this.
2: Watch that. Experts is a very dirty word around here. <laughs> I know. Um, I know. Uh, who, who is an expert? Who is the expert? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um,
0: <laughs> but it's it's similar to the U.S. as well, right? And they have hearings. They have uh, uh, committees, uh, for that matter. Um, who,
2: who in China sits on such a committee? Because in in this country, as you know, different states have different <laughs> – People in office with different levels of understanding. We have some states where policymakers know understand a lot about how this works, and the others are not so great. What happens in China?
0: Yeah, it's it's the same. Uh, there are cities um, that knows a lot about autonomous Shanghai. Uh, Shanghai is one of them. They were the first one to give permits to test at all, and they they hire uh, people that are uh, consultants. Um, that are from the industry, and, and they talk to all of the autonomous. They, there are a lot of autonomous driving companies in Shanghai. They all have an office. Is there
2: a podcast or a group of individuals in China like the Autonicast that that, have is, that, is, that can be so <laughs> obnoxious and rude to the guests and ask them difficult questions? Does that exist?
0: It does. Who are they? You might you might be surprised.
2: <laughs> I'd like to meet them. I'd like to know who they are. Who are, so are, are they on any of your committees or in discussions of how to define safety?
0: I'm not sure there is a single authority, and I'm not sure if that's a good thing. You know, we shouldn't have one.
2: Is there a uh, a, a lobbying group or organization representing people who live in the cities where these co- you want to deploy that is? making noise or asking questions about what safety means?
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. There are voices uh, about why we need this at all. You know, there are, there are different reasons for that. Of course, there's always this kind of discussion. Um, The reason why we're in Jading district, uh, that specific district, part of the reason is that it's actually a automotive capital uh, of China. And because they're so familiar with the the whole automotive industry and they have this motivation to build a city for autonomy. Uh, But you don't see that everywhere in China.
2: Right. So is there a, um, whether it's your opinion or anyone else's, does anyone in China believe that Tesla, who
1: has built this beautiful factory, (laughs) is going to deploy a robotaxi fleet? I'm gonna I'm gonna keep I'm gonna keep track of of each time that Alex asks you to comment on some other company. Go ahead. Well, Alex. I mean, yeah. I,
2: I'm curious to know what is the mood because in the in the United States, as you know, there are people like Edward Niedermeyer who <laughs> do not believe that Tesla will ever deploy a robotaxi, even certainly not without lidar. Uh, what do you think, I, Alex? I think I think you know what I believe. I I I believe that um, if your life depends on it. Why wouldn't you use all the sensors? Because, it, I mean, I this is going to offend some people, but uh, there's no shortage of innovation, and pr- the cost of hardware is declining all the time. And you, c- one cannot put a price on the life of my daughter. If she gets in an autonomous vehicle, then it's going to have LiDAR because her life is worth a lot more than the LiDAR. So I'll pay for the LiDAR to be in the vehicle. So, does anyone in China think that that Elon Musk is going to deploy robo taxis in China?
0: I think Elon has the charm on a lot of people <laughs> there's all there's the answer. The world. <laughs> yes.
1: Mm-hmm. All right. Well, um you've been very generous with your time and um we'll let you go but b- before you do, um if people want to learn more about AutoX or follow you online, um wh- where's a good place for people to go to learn about the company, maybe follow you?
0: Sure. Uh, we have uh, just started a Twitter account. Uh, we also have a Medium account, and uh, there's LinkedIn. Um, there is um, our our official website where you can learn a lot about
1: AutoX. And and what's the URL for that website? Uh, AutoX.ai. All right.
3: Okay. Before we leave, I think Jewel gets to ask. Well, probably it'll be Alex because you've listened to the show a bunch, so you must you must have a question for for one of us. So we'll we'll let you have the last word. Oh my, that was a surprise. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't have one, that's fine. But
0: well, yeah, my my question would also be, you know, um, I think you three of you uh, talk to a lot of um, companies in this space. Um, what do you see that is a gap between how you view the space, where it's going, versus how these companies are are thinking about the space? Is there a gap at all? or?
3: Well, the gap for me is a lack of transparency. So that's where it's sometimes difficult because a company might actually be going in a, a positive or a negative direction, but what they're telling me is oftentimes very different. And so that's, that's the m- biggest difficulty I have is sussing out where a company really is as opposed to
1: what they're telling me where they are yeah i would I would agree. I think that communications in in this space is extremely difficult. It always will be because it's just so complicated and and you know when you layer the complexity of the technology itself with the sort of competitive, you know, what do you what do you say? what don't you say? you know how much of your hand do you show? how much of your hand do you do you hold back? those sorts of game theory things? Um, it becomes very difficult to communicate. Uh, about it. And I think that's why we've seen sort of those perception issues that we discussed earlier in the show.
0: Is it AV um, specific though?
1: I think the AV has very specific problems in this area. I mean, I think clearly a lot of the companies um, in in the early you know years, like a couple of years back, um, were, were just being way too, the, the hype was getting out of control. And I think some companies did a better job than others of of managing that. But I think that almost everyone in the space has some responsibility for for building the hype, which not, is the natural not, thing to not do not when you a new tech company. Not everyone. <laughs> I would I would say, <laughs> I would say the burden of proof is on the companies to to show that they haven't fueled that because um, clearly these perceptions didn't come from nowhere, mm. um, and so I think it's just. Uh, it, the ability to communicate, as you said, I thought I think you you put it really really well when you said it should be the opposite. People should have been more conservative five years ago, and less and and, and more optimistic now. And it's the opposite. And I think sort of untangling that that and, and t- turning that trajectory around is is one of the really big challenges that that this space you know faces. And and I think we're trying to do that a little bit on the show. I think we we try and help do that a little bit. And sometimes it's maybe a little frustrating when, when you look at the companies and what they're doing outside. And, and as we discussed on our recent sort of PR discussion show, um, yeah. uh, maybe not all of them still get it. And uh, <laughs> it continues to be a challenge.
3: Alex? Less is, less is <laughs> Where's more. Where's the gap? Say the <laughs>
2: less. Um, the dam- <laughs> I'd say most of the damage has already been done. And the only way to unwind it is to say as little as possible until you have a product to show. Um, yeah. it's I mean you know the bomb has already been dropped now just got to wait for the mess to be cleaned up a lot of companies are going to go away in the next few months and they should so
1: well on that bombshell uh, we thank you Julie Chief Operating Officer of AutoX for making the time to be with us this was fantastic I, I learned a lot today I really appreciate you coming on the show
0: appreciate it thank you Alex Ed and Kirsten goodbye Joel. goodbye goodbye